0: Well, good morning, gang. Good to see everybody. Go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles, turn to Matthew 6. We're going to continue in our series in the Lord's Prayer this morning. All right, so let's say and pray this prayer together out loud. Uh, The words will be on the screen if you want to cheat. Say this with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then say this last line with me, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day. The rain comes down, but we need it, so we thank you for it. Um, This is a new day. Uh, The psalmist uh, reminds us that we should rejoice and be glad in every day that that you give us. We have breath in our lungs. We can see we're walking. Uh, We have the function of our bodies. And for that, we're grateful because there's some who don't have that. And even as we celebrate life, the the life of uh, the the Walthusan's young daughter that they bring into it, we also grieve the death of an extended family member. And so would you uh, be with uh, Delisa and Butch and their kids and their extended family in Washington State. We congratulate Solomon on making it through another year, and uh, we rejoice just in life, life that goes on, life that matures, and, uh, and, and life that grows in the fear and admonition of you. We pray that on Solomon this morning as he turns into the young man his parents have been praying for for many days. God, as we open your word today, I pray that you would surprise us by your grace. God, that, we, that you would challenge us uh, just by the, the simplicity of your word, but uh, helping us to understand really what it means that when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And I pray that we would see Jesus. And I pray that in his name. Amen. And amen. All right. So we're continuing in our series in the Lord's Prayer. And our contention has been in this series that, you know, almost all of us know the Lord's Prayer. I could have not had the words on the screen at all. And just had us recite the, the words from the Lord's Prayer. And probably from however you grew up, going to football games, just being around people, um, you know, those kind of things, almost like us learning the national anthem, most of us could have recited the Lord's Prayer. But the suggestion that uh, we are making in this series, and this doesn't apply for everyone, is that for many of us, we know the words, but we have no clue as to what it means when we pray these words. These are words that we don't actually have to repeat verbatim as Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, but they are a model that Jesus gives these disciples on how to pray. As we begin um, just another line of this text today i want to show you two things that i think uh are are important for us in terms of how we think about the lord's prayer and the first is the orientation of prayer look at look at how this is laid out here uh this shows you some of the the, the sermon titles that we've had but mostly these are the 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 connection points for the lord's prayer in its in and of itself Father, your name, your kingdom, your will, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Amen. When I say orientation, I mean that Jesus is teaching us when we come to the Lord in prayer that there is a particular way that we should pray in regards to our orientation. The first is vertical. Jesus says that we have the privilege of coming to the God of the universe, the God of the cosmos, and though he is God in heaven and we're on earth, as Ecclesiastes 5 tells us, and that our words should be few. Jesus, on the other hand, says you can actually call him father. This is the Aramaic word Abba, or as a young child would say Papa, raising their their arms and beckoning uh, to be picked up by their father. God is in heaven. He rules over all, and yet we can come and call him father. And that's the way that we can come into prayer greeting God. The the one who is above all. And then we have this vertical orientation, your name, your kingdom and your will. Your name, as uh, Nick unpacked a few weeks ago, um, reminds us that um, this isn't all about us. Even when we come to prayer, that that God's renown, his honor and his respect should be the first thing that comes out of our mouth as we are communicating with God through prayer. And then when we say your kingdom, your will, we are asking and really submitting ourselves to the reign and rule of Jesus, not just in the world out there, but over our hearts. We're bending our knee and we're submitting our will to God himself. It's as if, like I said last week, That we're not coming to God with my list of things that I need for him to do and saying, God, would you do these? Would you would you bend your will to me? And I'll tack on Jesus in Jesus name at the end of it. No, it's me coming and submitting even the things that I I hold dear to God and bending myself to his will. And then today we're going to uh, uh, sort of transition from this vertical orientation to a horizontal orientation. And notice the, the the use of words. First, it was Father, your, your, your. It's all about God. And the next orientation is horizontal in that it uniquely talks about us. And so after we've come and acknowledged who God is and what he does in the world and even in our lives, then Jesus says, then you can come and present to God those things that are So that's one thing that I think is important for us to see in the Lord's Prayer. Here's the other. I think the, the Lord's Prayer, every line of it teaches us something about God. But more importantly, more specifically, it teaches us something about our relationship to Him. Look at it this way. When we say, when we pray, Father, it's a reminder that we're children addressing our Father again, it's that word Abba, Papa. We're coming to God as a child would to his parent. When we pray your name be hallowed, we're reminded that we are creatures addressing the God of the universe. When we pray your kingdom come, your will be done, we are subjects to that king and we are submitting to his rule and his reign over us. And today as we pray, give us this day our daily bread we're coming to God as the one who provides for our every need. I like to say this, say it this way. We are benefactors. And, you know, that's an insurance term, kind of. And to be honest, that's kind, that has a negative connotation for some of us, because what this supposes is that if God is my provider, there are actually some things that I'm acknowledging that I might want to provide for myself, but I can't. So that really is the posture that we're coming to God in when we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And so in Matthew 6, verse 11, Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. And uh, really, my my simple outline for my sermon is I want to unpack what that means. I'm going to take this seven words, basically. I'm going to take four of those and tell you what they mean. When Jesus teaches us to pray, this horizontal request to God: What is He modeling for us? What does He want to understand? Um, three things that I'll suggest: When Jesus tells us to pray, "Give us this day our daily bread," He's focusing on bread. All right, y'all eat bread. There's a few of y'all that don't eat bread. I know it. I know y'all. All right. That's the essence of this line. If you if you break down the grammar, Jesus is saying, "Give us that that we should pray." give us bread there. There are two different aspects to this. There's a spiritual aspect, There's a physical aspect. Let's take each one by turn. If you if you know anything about the church fathers, those that were the pastors, the teachers, the scholars in the the first three centuries after Jesus died, then when they look at this line from Matthew 11, give us this day out of daily bread, as Jesus taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, they would say Jesus is talking from a spiritual perspective. He is grandly saying that, when Jesus is saying uh, that you can pray, give us bread, he's talking about himself, that we should be seeking Jesus himself, all that he provides for us as, as, as our king ruling over us, but more importantly, how he nourishes us with life, with eternal life. In John 6, Jesus has, um, if, if you turn to the gospel of John, don't turn there, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Um, He takes uh, two fish from a little boy. He takes five barley loaves of bread from that boy and he multiplies it and tells the people who were gathered there to to just sit down and he feeds 5000 men. That's not including the women and children that were there. And I mean, can you imagine somebody that just takes a little bit of food, multiplies it and feeds a horde of people? I mean, they were all just following him because they wanted to see the spectacle of the miracle. And after that, Jesus walks on water, and some of them knew that that happened. And so later in John 6, Jesus has this just a massive crowd that's following him. And because Jesus, obviously, omniscient, knows that they're following him because of the spectacle of the miracle, he he changes his rhetoric, and he says this in verse 35. He says, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Those were confusing words to this, this crowd because they were really just following Jesus because they just wanted to see the next miracle. They wanted to know, I mean, what is the next like plate of food he's gonna give to us? I mean, it was fish and bread this time. Maybe he'll have steak and potatoes <laughs> later on today. And so Jesus, knowing that this is the disposition of the heart, I mean, he says some crazy words. He says, hey, check it out. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any part with me. And they, I mean, they're just like, oh my God, that's kind of rude. That's rude. I mean, we're not cannibals, Jesus. What are you talking about? And of course, Jesus is talking in spiritual terms. Jesus is talking in metaphorical terms. He's talking about taking himself on as the bread of life. It basically is a plea that they would make Jesus a part of their lives, that believers would find eternal life in him, that their nourishment, their sustenance would come from partaking of him, and of and most of the disciples absolutely did not get that. Oh by the way, when we take communion every uh, at the end of all of our worship gatherings, we are commemorating what Jesus says in John six: We are finding nourishment and the source of eternal life in Jesus himself, symbolized by bread. And by wine. So it's a spiritual concept that Jesus is saying you should find nourishment in the, in eternal life, the, the life that I provide through my person and my work, dying in your place on the cross for your sins. But if we would back up in Jesus life, he's I mean, he's this is his message from from the get go. In Matthew four, Jesus has been sentenced to the desert. Uh, by the spirit, he's tempted by Satan. He's fa- he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And after um, you know, being tempted by, by, by Satan, he says, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so this verse and others sort of gives us this, this perspective of life is not just about the physical it's not just about what we can see about the normal earthly rhythm of life that all of us live. There's actually a spiritual level. And we should set our eyes not just on heaven, but uh, on earth, but above that to the to the heavenlies, because that's where our lives dwell. And that is what some scholars and definitely the ancient church followers would have focused on in terms of the Lord's prayer. You know what I think? I'm not negating these smart people. I'm not putting myself in in their stead. I think Jesus is talking about just bread, like real, real bread, like go to Wegmans, go to the bread section and get a loaf of bread. Jesus is talking about, all right, so these are people, real people that have real like body needs. They need some food, physical food. They need bread, white bread fattening, gluten-filled, like the kind you would put peanut butter and jelly, <laughs> you know, peanut butter and jelly on. Put some butter on it, toast it. I mean, those, that's, that's the kind of bread that Jesus is talking about. Good, hearty. Um, I know y'all won't eat bread like that. Jesus is talking about physical food. And here's this is an por- important point to bring up. here's the the rules for interpreting scripture. Uh, We we interpret literally as as often as we can and spiritual at times. And so whenever you approach a text and you're reading it, and it seems like the literal um, reading of it makes perfectly good sense, then you don't have to go and add a spiritual meaning to it. And I think we should take uh, that as an example here. We don't have to make this idea of Of Jesus being the bread uh, of Jesus uh, of of, uh, asking for bread, uh, a spiritual thing. Although there is an implication of that here, the the literal meaning makes a lot of sense. We're people; we need food to to, uh, to nourish us, to give us energy, and it just makes sense. Jesus is talking about physical bread. Jesus is teaching us to say, "Lord, would you give us bread?" Because He's not just concerned about our spiritual needs. Here in the Lord's Prayer, he is saying we can come to God the Father with our physical needs, all of them. Don't hold back. We can talk to the Lord about anything, literally anything, because he understands among all things, because he made us, we need to eat. I mean, we didn't make those, make ourselves like that, did we? I mean, God put, it, put us in that, that we need food for energy. We need food for sustenance. We need food to get us through the day. And Jesus is highlighting that simple fact that we don't have to ignore the basics when we come to God. Whatever our needs are, those physical needs, we can bring them to him. And he's symbolizing that by saying, "Give." you can pray, give us bread there 's an old there 's a um, story in the Old Testament that brings this point out Exodus sixteen the israelites aren 't really a nation yet they 're just a, a horde of of tribes. The tribes from the patriarch Jacob all gathered together, they have been delivered uh, out of Egypt by the miracles that God did through moses they 're going to Mount Sinai en route to the promised land that land flowing with milk and honey where you know, God would make them into a nation. God would be their God. They would be his people and they would be God's representatives on the earth to all the other nations on the earth. And they get like two steps outside of Egypt. And what happens? They run out of food. Can you imagine the amount of food they would that it would take to feed the million or so individuals in the nation of Israel at that time? And so they do the same things that we do, that your kids do, parents, when you're hungry. You're out of food. What do we do? Murmur, grumble, whine, complain. And so the Israelites went to Moses and they complain. Moses, why would you bring us out in the middle of the desert to die? Oh, my God, we remember the leeks and the onions and the meat pots from Egypt. And we were in slavery. Oh, yeah. but oh Yeah, we were in slavery. But oh, my God, we had onions and leeks and meat pots. And so they complained to Moses. Moses complained to God. They said, Lord, I told you I couldn't lead this stiff necked people. And now they're complaining to me about their food. And so God says this in Exodus sixteen 4, I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you each morning. And so each day God told them that they were to pick up only what they needed. And he called it manna. That word means, what is it? They didn't know what it was. It was like this flake like substance that just fell from the sky and sort of, I guess maybe two or three inches ended up being on the ground. They would scoop it up and ingenious people. I mean, I, I sometimes wonder, how is it that we know all the herbs and the spices and stuff? I mean, just, I mean, God put it in the minds of his people to use it and voila, these people are making bread and all kinds of stuff out of this manna. But here's the thing they were only supposed to pick up One serving, you know, enough for one person per day. The Bible says they were supposed to pick up one omer per day per person, unless it was the Sabbath. The the day before the Sabbath, they were supposed to pick up two uh, of these amounts per individual per day. And there's a semblance of the idea of only pick up what you need for today that Jesus is replicating in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread In, in Exodus 16 God said, pick up only what you need for this day. If you pick up more than that, you're hoarding. And what happened? He said it was going to turn to, it was going to rot. It's going to turn to maggots. So sure enough, the people did exactly what God and Moses said not to do. They got more than they needed. They went out on the Sabbath looking for manna on the ground, none there. And what they had stored up, what they had hoarded, rotted. It turned into maggots. They did the very thing God said not to do. Why? Because God wanted them to understand that he would provide everything they needed for a single day. And Jesus in the Lord's Prayer is saying to us, we can pray, give us this day our daily bread, because he really wants you to get the idea that he provides for you day to day. God is your provision. Your spiritual provision, but he also is your spirit your your physical provider. We see this also replicated in the New testament matthew six twenty five says these words there, uh, Jesus is speaking, therefore, I tell you don 't be anxious about your life, what you 'll eat or what you 'll drink, nor your body what you 'll put on it 's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air; they neither sow nor reap nor gather in the barns, and yet your heavenly Father Feeds them. Are you of not more value than they? And so this is the this is the, the, the um, towards the end of the famous part of the Bible, the, the Gospels. It talks about the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is on a mountain and he's sermonizing. He's doing what I'm doing. He's standing up in front of a lot of people and he's talking in parables and and you know just using everyday illustrations to talk about what life in the kingdom of God looks like. And particularly in Matthew 6, he's telling them there's no reason you got to be anxious about life. Don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about the clothing that you have, because God is going to provide them for you. Look at the way he clothes the lilies of the field. Solomon doesn't even have clothes as good as these, these lilies on the ground. And look how he takes care of the birds that fly in the air. There's not a bird that wakes up in the morning and that's stressed out about finding a worm on the ground. God's going to provide for your needs. And he's basically articulating the same thing in Matthew 6 in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount. What's that relate, relate to prayer? So this is still Matthew 6. Remember at the beginning of my sermon, we read the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. So this is just a few sermons down from when Jesus taught them how to pray. And he's saying, I mean, why would he say, don't worry, don't be anxious, don't worry about that stuff in in his second or third sermon after that? Because he's already taught them two sermons ago through the Lord's Prayer. This is what you should pray. Come to your father, your Abba, your Papa, who, although he reigns over the cosmos, is is wants to be as intimate with you that he knows your individual specific need. And you can come to that to that God, that God that provides and simply say to him, Lord, Father, Papa, Abba, give me my daily bread because I have daily needs just today. So we don't have to fret. You don't. I mean, literally. This prayer is telling us we can come and present the simplest of need to God. And then guess what? We can just leave it there, back up out of the way. Why? Because you've prayed and you're going to then in faith trust that the God of the world is also your God. And he is going to answer your prayer, just as he told his disciples many years ago in a simply of a, a simple of a illustration. Of showing them flowers on the ground and birds flying in the air. He does the same thing for you as people. So when Jesus teaches us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, I want to suggest that, that means we're to pray for our physical needs, not just your spiritual needs. God wants you to bring everything in life to him. We're not we're not we don't have to categorize our lives into spiritual things and then physical things. I can bring the spiritual things to God and I got to take care of the spirit uh, the physical things for myself. I don't have to have life like, all right, I got my clothes on. I'm going to get my, my Sunday face on. I'm going to go to worship. I'm going to go to church and then you get out of church and then the rest of life happens, you know. Sunday afternoon through the end of Saturday. Come Saturday, I'm going to get my, you know, I'm gather myself together and get ready to go to church again. That's not how God wants you to live. He wants you to live like Sunday to Sunday, Sunday to Sunday, perpetually, like all knowing that God is the same God, and He's calling you to be the same person, depending on Him because He wants to know about your needs, and you can bring those to Him. Doesn't have to be a special day. Doesn't even have to be a special moment. Just bring your needs to God. We are to pray for our most basic needs. We are to pray to God about everything. Give us this day our daily bread. And so the focus is, you know, firstly bread. Here's the the other word I want you to bring out daily. Give us this day our daily bread. The word daily is a unique word in the Bible. It's only used twice. Guess where those two times are that that it's used in the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6 and in Luke 11, uh, this word has tripped up archaeologists and scholars because it's only been in those two places. And for many years, one, to, to quote one one scholar, they said the, 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 the specific word daily, it was hard to fix, as in they were guessing what it meant based upon the context that it appeared in the Lord's Prayer. But they didn't know exactly until an archaeological dig uh, produced... Uh, part of a papyrus. You know, the, the, the sort of, uh, it's like a reed flattened out that the, the ancient people would write on. That's always the, it was their version of paper. And so on this particular, uh, in this particular archaeological dig, uh, there was an incomplete uh, papyrus. And on the papyrus was a shopping list of, of just ancient random items. And it seemed to have come from an ancient housewife. I mean, just this this interesting stuff. And it had on it not just a list of of shopping items, but expenses. And next to the shopping items and the expenses was this Greek word that we didn't they didn't know what it was. And it was repeated after every one of the words. And so uh, the the scholars basically have come to believe that this word matched to all these other words uh, meant enough for today. And so for an example, this is what the shopping list looked like. Chickpeas, daily, straw, daily, personal ends, daily. And so you got to make you got to take into consideration first century living in the first century I mean the, these were daily people getting what they needed on a daily basis there there wasn 't refrigerators or freezers like you and I have they 'd even have ice boxes like my grandma used to have you know fifty sixty years ago. Uh, you went to the market to get whatever you wanted for that particular day. you brought that home, you consumed it, and then there was no more and you did the very next thing the next day and that 's how life was for them. Uh, in Jesus' world, most people had no capability to store up perishable food. The vast majority of people didn't even have space to store grains like rice and chickpeas, for that example. And so what did they do? They lived hand-to-mouth. They went and got what they needed, they consumed it, and then the next day they went and got more. But of course, to get more, you had to have the provision to be able to get more. They lived day to day, just enough food for that day. There's an example of this in Matthew 20. Uh, in Matthew 20, this is Jesus speaking. For the kingdom of heaven is like a house, a uh, master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to this foreman, Call the laborers and pay them for their work for their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. Now, in context, this is a parable about the the, the, the lavish grace of God. Okay? So I'm, I'm extracting a point from the overall context of, of the text. Actually, this is a beautiful text because it teaches us it doesn't matter if you've been in the kingdom of God, saved by Jesus, you know, by faith through grace for all your life or. Or if you sneak in by the hair of your chinny chin chin on your death's bed, God's grace to us is all the same. Isn't that? A, I mean, isn't that good news? But here's the thing. So the the parable just unfolds with a, um, a, a man who owns a vineyard, and he goes out and and hours, uh, sec- consecutive hours, you know, the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, the eleventh hour, and he's hiring all these day workers and bringing them in to, to, to work in the vineyard. And at the end of the day, he pays them what their wage is. And those who were there all day sort of get ticked off that they got the same wage as the ones who only worked for like an hour, less than an hour. And of course, therein is the grace of God. I mean, God's grace to us is all the same. A beautiful story. Here's, here's my point. Um, in Jesus' day, people didn't have jobs like we have it today. There really were three categories of jobs. You had those who were farmers, you had those who were small business owners, and then everybody else was pretty much, either you were rich and you didn't do any of that, or you were a day laborer. Okay, And what does a day laborer do? A day laborer gets up. and He goes out to a, a marketplace or in their case, they go to the city gates and they wait. They wait for someone that's affluent, that's a farmer or that's a business owner to come and choose you to come work for the day. You work all day for them. And then at the end of the day, you get a wage. What do you do with the wage? You take it to the marketplace. You buy food for the table that night and perhaps some for the next day because there's you don't have extra in your kitty. You don't have like hordes of money stored up. There's no bank uh, bank repository that you've, you're keeping your money in. It's you make your money, you buy your food so that you can eat tomorrow and then you do the same thing over and over again. That's really how it worked. That was the economy of the first century. And of course, some of you, I mean, if you, if you have your eyes open, you can see day laborers work I mean, right here in Northern Virginia, we used to we used to rent a trailer from U-Haul, a, a truck from U-Haul every Sunday to pull our, our our church trailer. And at U-Haul, pretty much any U-Haul, there are people there who uh, are likely immigrants, and they're looking for work, and they're looking for someone that's getting a big truck and has a big job to do, moving a house, so, uh, things of that nature. Uh, a few of us that are training for elders used to meet at Breeze Cafe in Annandale. And the 7-Eleven right by Breeze Cafe, I mean, there were 25, 30 gentlemen that used to be there every morning, day laborers, waiting for someone with a business, some contractor to come and pick them up so that they could, I mean, subsist for the day. So it's not a foreign concept, even in our day. So when Jesus comes and he says, pray like this, give us this day, our daily bread. This is literally a prayer for almost all of his followers. And they, I mean, they would have understood this. He's saying, you can pray to God because you need to, that he would give you work for today so you can get an income tonight, so you can take it to the market or give it to your spouse so that you can go get food, put it on the table and eat Otherwise, I mean, that was that was how they subsisted. They were that poor. Here's what the Proverbs says. Proverbs 30, verses eight, and nine. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Note the mention of daily bread. I think the, the, the wisdom of Proverbs is echoing the same thing that Jesus is talking about in the prayer that he teaches us to pray. But mostly he's, he's teaching them that we all need to have utter dependence on God. That regardless of how affluent or, you know, medium income or perhaps you are one that actually needs daily bread from God, that all of us should come from a perspective that Lord, you're going to provide. You are my, my provider. Provide for me today. And that's what we're asking for God to do in this prayer. That, like a day worker, I would work today to have money for tonight, to have food on my table, tomorrow to feed me and my family. And so, what this teaches us when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, Jesus is welcome, uh, welcoming us to pray for the daily necessities of life. Day, think of daily necessities. Now, we live in a, a unique culture because our, we get confused between our wants and our needs. Sometimes we want things, but they're not true needs, and we can confuse those two. And our house is filled with things that we want, but that we don't need, all of us. And so Jesus is giving us the privilege here to pray for the things that we need. And I would have to say, folks, there ain't a lot of stuff that we really, really need that we have already. But he's not giving us a license here to pray for the luxuries of life that come on top of all the things that we need. Like he's not saying that you should like bend your knees and pray, Lord, so, oh, my God, this week is it's been six weeks in the year already. And I'm exhausted. Would you please send me to Hawaii for two weeks so that I can recuperate from the hardness, the harshness of the, the winter weather in 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 Northern Virginia and just get away from it all. Oh, oh, Lord, would you would you bless me to give me a, a des- destination vacation in like the, my favorite place in the world? And would you allow me to, to buy a, a, a villa there? And, and, and if it will help my prayer, if it will justify my prayer at all, I'll actually let the pastors of the church use it every once in a while <laughs> just because that sounds really good. I'm sure the pastor would appreciate that. And, and oh, by the way, Lord, you know, I, I'm really, really thankful, oh God, for my, my new old car that has 113,000 miles on it. But Jesus, would you, could you bless me with a car, like a new car, like a new new car, a real new car, like with only five miles on it that no one has test driven and that smells new and that has all the Bluetooth gadgets and gadgets that will match my phone? I mean, I'm not saying you don't pray those prayers because God is a blessing God and he wants to bless you. And some of you have play, prayed outlandish prayers like that. And the Lord is really like, like it surprised you. I wish the Lord would surprise me just one time like that. <laughs> what is it, Nick? God doesn't do pastors like that, does he? <laughs> Suffering for Jesus, brother. Amen. My God. Here's the thing. I don't think we can't not pray like that. But I think this prayer, this particular prayer, Jesus is saying, here's the privilege. You get to pray for those things that you need and and leave the luxury stuff for later. That's his invitation to us. There's two more words I want to point out. I'm going to use them together. Jesus says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. And the last focus is the word us and our. I'll take them together. This reminds us: this is this is not an individual prayer. Sometimes, you know, a lot of times we pray by ourselves. I'm in my prayer closet. I'm going to come to Jesus by myself, bringing him my needs, and even exalting him by myself. Uh, oftentimes, when we pray the Lord's prayer, we pray it collectively as a group of people. It's kind of a liturgical prayer, particularly because he uses this language of of us, our, and it's all the way through the prayer. We begin the prayer saying, "Our Father." It's not just my God. He's our God. And then, as we turn horizontal in this prayer, Jesus tells us that we should collectively say, Give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us. Amen. And so, there's this corporate um, perspective. Of this prayer that we are supposed to think about. As followers of Jesus, we are praying this prayer together. And so Jesus would have expected his people not to just pray individually or to, to live their lives isolated by themselves, but to do so in community with other people. And that's why we read commands like this in the New Testament, James five thir- uh, 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. If you're sick, like my son David today is not here. He's sick. I think he has the flu. Y'all pray for him. Ask others to come and pray with you for healing. Galatians six two. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. I think the key way that we bear one another's burdens is we pray for each other. Okay, and I mean you got to be around one another to be able to pray. For one another, and so there's not an individual focus here. There's a collective focus, and oh, by the way, this is why we do community groups. We put all of the eggs in our in the basket of our church in our community. We put a lot of focus in this. I got a pastor that we hired. To, to help us get better and to shepherd our congregation as we collectively come together and do fellowship and Bible study and discipleship. And oh, by the way, that we partner with things going around in our, in our community and we see ourselves not just individually but collectively on mission with the Lord in the place that he's put us, not individual, but as, as a community. And here's my here's my concern. This is my pastoral concern that I talk about to the elders that I talk to Nick about all the time. And it's not you in community groups that I'm concerned about. It's you that aren't because very likely there's someone in our church and we're not a program driven church. So there's not we don't have a building. I don't have things that I can bring you to at the church. And then, I mean, sometimes those don't work anyway. But very likely there's someone right here, right now in the midst of us with a major life concern for you, for your family. It's something going on with your job, something going on with your health. You're grieving the loss of a loved one. And if you're not in community with us, if you're not attached to anybody in any way, friendship, spiritual or otherwise, then how will we know what's going on in your life that we can do what James 5 and Galatians 6-2 says? Come alongside you and pray for you and bear your burdens. So that's my concern. And my challenge would be getting community so that you can with us pray, give us this day. And it's not just a prayer for you. It's a prayer for those of you who are in community with the rest of us. Because we want to know what's going on in your life, not just in a gossipy way. We want to know it so that we can come alongside you, you know, to, to love you the way God has called us to love other people. And of course, there's one more connotation to this idea um, of of give us our daily bread is that if one of us has a need, we can pray. But there's also this idea of we support, we, we bear one of those burdens by being the direct response to to that person from God for what they might need, be it money or another physical resource. First John three says, but if anyone has the world's goods, that means, you, I mean, you got all you need and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him. How does God's love abide in him? I love our community groups. Why? Because they're not just gaggles of, of, of Christians huddling behind the door, closing the, closing the blinds and singing Kumbaya. That's not our vision of community groups. It really is, let's, let's challenge each other to, to know and love Jesus. Let's challenge each other to live gospel-centered, fluent lives. And let's get involved in, in our community by knowing our neighbors. And oh, by the way, we see testimonies of, of, of people bearing one another's burdens, of, of coming together and praying, give us this day our daily bread together, And we see it happening. Miracles, you know, small ones, but some huge ones. Of just things going on in their life, things going on around them, financial strains and God answering prayers through that. And so I think Jesus wants us to pray for our physical needs, not just spiritual. He's inviting us to pray for real, normal, big, small stuff of life. He's inviting us to pray for our necessities. He wants us to pray for each other's needs, not just our own so here's what I want to do is I get ready to close in about 10 minutes. I mean, I want to ask, I mean, how do we apply this? How do I actually, I mean, how, do, how does this help me to be a better Christian, do the things that Jesus taught me to do, love, serve, Jesus, grow in this? Because I have a problem with this prayer, and here's the thing. You've got the same problem. I don't live a life like the first century disciples of Jesus I hate to admit it, but there's not a day in my life that I've gone and honestly had to pray this prayer from a perspective that I had nothing that I could fall back on, and I needed Jesus to come and provide for my daily needs. So, I mean, I can't even stand up here and say I've I've prayed this prayer. But you probably haven't either. Now, I'm not dismissing that some of you have had difficult moments, that some of you have been stuck between a rock and a hard place, that some of you have lost jobs, literally been kicked out of your houses. I mean, I know that stuff happens. We are not a congregation of, of, of affluent people that don't have, actually have life happening to us. But the truth is, we live in America, and even the poorest of us in America in this room are more fluent than eighty five percent of the rest of the world. And so how do you and I in Western in the Western world in in America uh, live this prayer? I want to suggest a couple things to you. How do we pray, give us today our daily bread in a meaningful way? Here's what I think the, the the first way we do it is we pray and live with profound gratitude. I think you would challenge yourself if you took a moment to just um, think about your life and how you have been privileged just with just life's norm. Maybe not too high of extreme of getting what you wanted, but definitely not too low of, a, uh, of an impoverishment that you, uh, you were barely scraping by. And I'm not dismissing that some of you have had that difficulty in life. But as I think about my own life, I'm challenged to think how grateful we should be that we have bread and grains and meat and most of us have it in quantities that even if they were a natural disaster today, even if our refrigerators and freezers were to like break, we would still have stuff in our pantry to get us through for two or three, four, five weeks. Right. We're not hurting. We got up this morning. We're able to breathe. We can walk. We can see. We live in comfortable homes. We got our choice of clothes to put on. Here's the perspective that I have of my life. I am abundantly blessed by God. Yet many of us take this for granted. Uh, I was at a family reunion years ago and I was sitting down listening to my mom and her her six brothers and sisters talk about how poor they had grown up. I mean, they they grew everything they ate. Uh, my grandfather um, was a day worker. He actually went out every day and did like a normal uh, you know, just he went out and earned a living working for other people and then he came home that night with a little bit of money so that my grandma and my mom and his her siblings could could eat. And I was taken aback with how vividly they were describing how poor they were. And then my mom looked at me and she's like, "I don't know why you're standing over there. We were poor when you grew up too." I was like, "We were poor?" I didn't know it because, I mean, here's the thing. I live in America, and even though my parents, I mean, my dad worked two jobs for most of my life. I had no idea that he was scraping the barrel just to get what we put on the table. And, you know, life for me and my brother and my sister, I mean, it was fun. We had everything that I think we needed. I can't remember a thing that I asked my parents for um, that, that they didn't provide for me. And that's just, uh, I had loving parents. But here's the thing, and this is a challenge for me. I've never, never uh, in my entire life had to genuinely pray this prayer. Give us this day. Give me, Father, this day, my daily bread. I've never had to pray that. Yet, I'm not grateful oftentimes for the thing that God has given me. James 117, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights whom, with whom there is no variation or shadow do to change. James says, everything that you have, whatever shape, form, or fashion it might be in, is a blessing from God himself. The psalmist, time and again, would say, praise the Lord, oh give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And what the psalmist is reminding us is all the things, all the ways by which A good God, a good father blesses you and your response should be uplifted hands, bent knees, honoring God and being grateful. So what about you folks? Are you grateful? Is there any ounce of gratitude in you for the things that God has done for you? Any? Check it out. Underneath your seat, there's a pen and three index cards. We're going to actually make this practical. Some of you aren't going to want to do this, but hopefully you'll appease me. Look around you, the seat in front of you, the seat behind you, underneath your own seat. There's two index cards and a card. I want to do a little quick exercise. We're going to take 30 seconds and do this. I want you to sit before God with an attitude, prayerfully of profound gratitude, and write a couple things that you are grateful for right in this moment. What are you grateful for? These can be really deep or incredibly basic, really deep or incredibly basic, this is an exercise in you being grateful and expressing your gratitude to God. Don't write your name on that card. Take a couple seconds. so we should pray and live with profound gratitude. Here's the second thing, the way that I think we should live this out, is we should pray and live with deep dependency. Part of what this meant for Jesus' followers is that they had to depend on God for, I mean, literally everything. They were waking up trusting that God was going to give them work to give them money to go to the market and get the things that they needed for life's Necessities. There was a deep need to trust God and walk by faith, and that's hard to do in America. It's hard to do in our affluent society, regardless of where you are. Uh, for us, our pantries and our refrigerators and our freezers and our second freezer are all filled. Our garages are filled. Our closets are filled, and I'm not picking on us because I, you know, that's that's I'm thinking about my own life. But what that does is it prevents us from depending and trusting in God the way that we are supposed to. Listen to what Deuteronomy 8 says. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and statutes, which I command you today lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. I'm stop right there. Here's what David is, is getting at. He's saying, this is our tendency. We will see God's blessing. We will acknowledge God's blessing. And in verse 12, we will forget it. David is trying to help, Israel, Moses rather, is trying to help God's people remember the Lord, remember what he's done. He goes on, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you'll forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and, my, and might of my hand has gotten me this wealth." You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers, And as it is this day, here's what Moses is encouraging Israel to to see and believe. Everything you got, it comes from God. And when God blesses you such that it's it's overflowing, don't forget him, because even the things that God has blessed you with, they have originally come from him. And that should be uh, our response, that we are We see ourselves as beneficiaries. I I use that term in the very beginning of my sermon. It's a negative term because sometimes we think we can make it on our own. We don't want or need anybody's help. It's my skill. It's my career. It's my talent. It's my labor. I've worked hard to get all that I've gotten. And here's what Moses and Deuteronomy is reminding us. God is giving us the increase. It's, It's all coming from God. Any affluence, any Goodness in you, any ability to create wealth, power, ability, skills, all that stuff, it comes from God. And so I think Jesus is calling us to pray that even if we have bread for tomorrow, he wants us to have this kind of a heart. What kind of heart? A heart that's dependent on God. First Timothy 6 says, as the rich in this present age, uh, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on God. The uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Don't get tripped up when He says rich in this present age. He's talking about us. We are those kinds of people. Don't depend on your bank balance. Don't trust in the assets in your 401k because that stuff is fickle. It's here today, y'all know it. Stock market dropped 1,500 points two weeks ago. Bounce back, but it's uncertain. What's the sure foundation of your life that you should depend on? Depend on God. And so we need prayer for deep dependency on God. And that's what I want you to do with that second card. I want you to write down one thing that you're depending on God for. What are you dependent on God for? What are you dealing with in your life right now that you need God to step in? Prayerfully, you got something. (coughs) And as you're writing, I'm over time, I'm going to go ahead and launch into this third one. We should pray and live with overflowing generosity. And I think that's the, the perspective that we should have as, as North American people. The, the context of the, the, this, this verse, give us this day our daily bread, is Jesus has followers who actually needed God to give them things because they had nothing. And the prayer that Jesus taught was for them to ask for daily bread. And most of us, I mean, don't have to pray that. But if God has blessed you with enough, if God has blessed you with more than enough, then it makes sense that you would see God's blessing in your life and that you would do something God-honoring with it, that you would live a life and even pray that God would help you um, to use what He's blessed you with in, in, a, in a way that's, that has this, that's generous. First Chronicles 29, we'll finish with this. Verse 10, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you of God, the Lord of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. David is, this is the end of his life. He's about to turn the kingdom over to his son Solomon, and David is going to die. And they are collecting goods to help Solomon build a temple. And he offers this prayer, this praise to God saying, hey, Lord, everything you've given us, we've gotten from you and you've caused it to overflow such that we're <laughs> going to give you of our, our overflow to build a temple. And then he reminds himself as he reminds Israel, hey, guys, all this belongs to God. He's blessed us and he's caused our giving to increase. And I think that's the challenge for us. Sometimes we don't recognize how privileged we are, how blessed we are, how much God has given us. Doesn't mean that you that life is all hungry dirty for you, or that you don't have needs that even you don't have financial struggles. But compare it to first century people, compare it to most people in the world, we do live abundantly. And most of you perhaps don't have an overflowing, generous Perspective of life. First Timothy says this. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus sharing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. When you take hold of what's truly life, you do good works. You're generous and you're ready to share. So on that on the back of that second card, what's one step you need to take to be more generous and abundant with what you've been given? And I think that's that's, the, that's a huge challenge for many of us. What do you do with what God has blessed you with? Do you even recognize what God has given you and blessed you with? For some of you, it might just be giving to your church for the first time. If you're coming here and you're a regular member of the transit, uh, God's blessed you. Uh, are you sowing into your church, your church that prayerfully is supporting you and loving you, come alongside you, but also a church that's. Um, supporting church planters and missionaries, and and loving our community. Perhaps for some of you, it would be helping an underprivileged family. Last Christmas, we uh, ventured into the holiday sharing program in Alexandria, and we helped uh, several different types of people: the elderly, the disabled, teens, families that didn't have a lot. And we did that for you know just for the holidays. But I mean, what? I mean, it wouldn't it be cool that we did that by like, ongoing all throughout the year. Uh, A couple came to me last week and uh, they've been sponsoring a child through Compassion International for several years. And they brought up the idea of what what do it look like for our church to do that? And I'm not sure, uh, but I'm going to meet with them. Some of you have been involved in Compassion International and know that it's not just giving money to a kid, uh, a third world kid. It's the opportunity to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to that kid as well. And so I'm going to listen to that couple this week. And perhaps you might hear us talking about sponsoring children through Compassion International in the days ahead. So I'm I'm done. Here's what I want you to do with that first card, the one that you didn't write your name on, the one of gratitude. I want you to offer that to God as part of your worship, your response today. You know, when we come to communion, we are remembering the body and blood of Jesus. Give us this day our daily bread. You are acknowledging, Lord, I get sustenance and nourishment from you spiritually. I am partaking of your body and blood, your body which is broken for me, your blood which was shed for me on the cross in my place for my sin. I have eternal life in you. Spiritual sense, Jesus, you are the bread of life. And when we partake of that bread, we are remembering his sacrifice and we're giving thanks. And I want you to take that card and I want you to just lay it on the communion table. Come with a sense of gratitude to the Lord for what he's done, Receive communion, the body and blood of Jesus. Leave the card there. That's going to be a part of your worship. So let's all stand. Let's sing a song with the worship team.